millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Credibility of the United States on intelligence is really low right now. If that intelligence is going to cause U.S. forces to die and bleed in combat the U.S. to deploy military force, I'm going to be very skeptical of that intelligence. Very skeptical. Welcome to Deconstructed. I'm Mehdi Hassan. It's a Middle Eastern country with lots of oil. The first three letters are I, R and A. And America wants to bomb it. In 2003, it was Iraq. Today, it's Iran. The parallels are beyond eerie. John Bolton and Mike Pompeo look a lot like the characters from the Bush administration, with Pompeo being the sycophant and Bolton being the leader. That's my guest today, Colonel Lawrence Wilkerson, who served as chief of staff to Colin Powell in the run-up to the Iraq invasion in 2003 and subsequently became a very vocal critic of that conflict and of the George W. Bush administration. So on today's show, we'll discuss how close are we to a catastrophic conflict with Iran and what lessons can we all learn politicians, the media, the public, from the 2003 Iraq war debacle. Is the Iranian government behind a series of recent attacks on a number of tankers in the Gulf, most recently on a pair of Norwegian and Japanese tankers carrying petrochemicals? And if it turns out that Iranians are responsible, is that a casus belli for a new war in the Middle East between the United States and the Islamic Republic? The U.S. government has released a video supposedly showing Iranian Revolutionary Guards on a patrol boat trying to covertly remove an undetonated mine from the hull of one of the two tankers. And President Trump, speaking on state television's Fox and Friends the other morning, said there was no doubt in his mess of a mind as to who was to blame. Well, Iran did do it, and you know they did it because you saw the boat. I guess one of the mines didn't explode, and it's probably got essentially Iran written all over it. And you saw the boat at night trying to take the mine off and successfully took the mine off the boat. And that was exposed. And that was their boat. That was them. Uh, And they didn't want the evidence left behind. I guess they don't know that we have uh, things that we can detect Mm -hmm. in the dark that work very well. The problem with this Trumpian narrative is that the owner of the Japanese tanker says sailors on board saw, quote, flying objects just before it was hit, which suggests the vessel wasn't damaged by mines. The Japanese government says the evidence provided so far by the Americans is not, quote, convincing. The German foreign minister said the US video is, quote, not enough to prove Iran did it. Though on Tuesday, to be fair, Chancellor Angela Merkel did say she now believes there is strong evidence Iran carried out the attacks, which will be music to Trump's ears. On Fox News Sunday, Chris Wallace tried to get some more details, some kind of actual evidence of Iranian involvement from Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. How certain are you that Iran was responsible for these attacks? And do you have more evidence that you can share with us? Well, Chris, it's unmistakable what happened here. These were attacks by the Islamic Republic of Iran on commercial shipping on the freedom of navigation with a clear intent uh, to deny transit through the strait. This was on the Gulf of Oman side of the Strait of Hormuz. Uh, there's no doubt. The intelligence community has uh, lots of data, lots of evidence. The, uh, the world will come to see much of it. 
The world will come to see much of it, says Pompeo. We're just going to have to wait and see and take the Trump administration at its word in the meantime. Yeah, the Trump administration at its word. But what's weird is that the same media, which debates and discusses the Trump administration's lies on a daily basis, has no problem taking the administration's claims on Iran at face value. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo says that all options are on the table to counter Iran's aggression following two attacks on oil tankers in the Gulf of Oman. President Trump says he will do whatever is necessary to end Iran's aggressive rhetoric. Why some say Iran is a growing threat to the United States. Even Democrats like Congressman Adam Schiff, who have spent the past two years telling us how dishonest Trump is, how he's a foreign asset, how he can't be trusted on the international stage, are now echoing his rhetoric on Iran. There's no question that Iran is behind the attacks. I think the evidence is very strong and compelling. No question that Iran's behind the attacks. Sorry, that's a lie. As I've already pointed out, the Japanese ship owner and the German foreign minister are both asking questions about Schiff's so-called compelling evidence. But look, sadly, there's no cost, no penalty to being a hawk on Iran. Almost everyone's a hawk on Iran here in Washington, D.C., as my guest Peter Beinart, the journalist and author, pointed out on this show just last week. The Democrats, yes, supported the Iran nuclear deal and oppose escalation as of right now, but they've never really questioned the underlying premise that Iran is a mortal threat to the US and should never be engaged or normalized, in contrast to, say, Saudi Arabia, which is supposedly a friend and an ally. On the subject of Hawks and the Trump administration, by the way, we talk a lot about John Bolton, who, of course, once wrote an op-ed for The New York Times headlined, To Stop Iran's Bomb, Bomb Iran. But it isn't just Bolton. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is also a big hawk on Iran and has been for years. Back during the Obama administration, Pompeo called for airstrikes against Iran, suggesting 2,000 sorties would be enough to end the Islamic Republic's nuclear program. There's also some of Trump's outside advisers on Iran, like Senator Tom Cotton, who fantasizes about a new Middle East war. Here he is on Face the Nation on Sunday. What I'm talking about is not like what we've seen in Iraq for the last 16 years or Afghanistan for the last 18 years, but retaliatory military strikes against Iran that make it clear we will not tolerate any kind of attacks on commercial shipping on the open seas. Hold on. Shouldn't the Japanese be the ones mounting a retaliatory strike? It was their ship. And also... If it turns out that it was an Iranian attack, even then, are U.S. airstrikes really the solution to growing tensions in that part of the world? And on what legal or constitutional basis can the Trump administration attack Iran over alleged attacks on Emirati or Saudi or Norwegian or Japanese tankers in the Gulf? How do such attacks constitute an attack on the United States? How do they justify what Senator Tom Cotton ludicrously calls a retaliatory military strike? As a headline in The Onion of all places put it so well just a few weeks ago, quote, John Bolton, colon, an attack on two Saudi oil tankers is an attack on all Americans. What worries me is that as we get closer and closer to a conflict with Iran, the media on both sides of the Atlantic seems to have learned few lessons from what happened in 2002 and 2003 ahead of the Iraq war. As I pointed out in a recent op-ed for The Intercept, you have the New York Times, CNN and co. still parroting the hawkish claims of unnamed US administration officials, still failing to provide context for the 40-year Cold War between Washington and Tehran, still getting their facts wrong about Iran's nuclear program, still providing platforms to the hawks who got Iraq wrong rather than to the doves who got Iraq right. 
You even have the same lazy, recycled arguments used to smear opponents of a war with Iran that were used against opponents of a war in Iraq. I experienced it firsthand when I was back in the UK earlier this week and I appeared on the BBC's Politics Live show alongside a right-wing politician called Suzanne Evans, who used to be a senior member of the UK Independence Party, or UKIP. She took great objection to UK Labour Party leader Jeremy Corbyn, insisting on Twitter that, quote, without credible evidence about the tanker attacks, the UK government's rhetoric will only increase the threat of war. Here's a clip from the show. Is Jeremy Corbyn, by once again siding with a, with a, with a left-wing despotic or despotic theocracy, um, ac- actually going to help this matter? You know, it's reminiscent of the whole Salisbury nerve agent How attack. Every single time Jeremy Corbyn goes against the, the Western interests and he goes against British intelligence. Every single time this happens, he sides uh, w- 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 with the aggressors. Hang on, hang on, I'm just going to say, this idea that if you oppose escalation or if you question evidence, you're supporting a despotic theocracy yeah. is madness. Yeah. It's offensive. I feel like I've got a time machine. But is the evidence compelling? Can I finish my point? 2003, Jeremy Corbyn was siding with despotic Saddam Hussein, in your view. He was right about that. Jeremy Hunt and the Tory party were wrong about that. Danny, with respect, yep. was wrong no, about that. So let's just have some humility here before we start talking about, yep. you know, it's the evidence. Hang on, hang on. Can I, can I talking of Iraq and getting into a time machine to revisit how wrong the hawks were back then about the intel, about the threat, about the ease with which the war would be won. Do you remember then Secretary of State Colin Powell and his now infamous presentation on Iraqi WMDs at the United Nations back in February 2003? We have first-hand descriptions of biological weapons factories on wheels and on rails. The trucks and train cars are easily moved and are designed to evade detection by inspectors. In a matter of months, they can produce a quantity of biological poison equal to the entire amount that Iraq claimed to have produced in the years prior to the Gulf War. It was all bullshit. Colonel Lawrence Wilkerson was Colin Powell's chief of staff at the time, but he later became disillusioned with the whole Iraq misadventure and the lies that were told, including by his then boss, and has been speaking out against US foreign policy in the Middle East ever since. Last year, he penned an op-ed on Iran for the New York Times headlined, I helped sell the false choice of war once. It's happening again. Lawrence Wilkerson joins me now. Colonel Wilkerson, thanks for joining me on Deconstructed. Good to be here. Uh, Let's start with your New York Times piece from last year, published well before uh, these latest tanker attacks, these latest accusations, this latest escalation. You wrote, quote, It's astonishing how similar the Trump administration's methods overall match those of President Bush and Vice President Dick Cheney. How so? There are so many similarities, it's it's hard to enumerate them all. The most uh, prominent ones to me, though, were the techniques, the methodologies. You had, instead of Paul Wolfowitz's Office of Special Plans in the Pentagon, for example, which fed Dick Cheney with raw intelligence, there was just that, raw. It wasn't finished at all. You have the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, the FDD, very uh, astutely moved out of the Pentagon and into the Beltway Bandit Complex, Doing the same thing, though, essentially working with UAE and with Saudi Arabia to provide the administration with intelligence that is anything but sound, but fits their policy needs. So that was one similarity. Another similarity was the fact that John Hanna worked at FTD. John Hanna was the man who shouted me 
didn't leave me for a moment 24-7 in the six days and nights I prepared Powell's presentation at the United Nations. In fact, John Hanna had written the WMD portion of that presentation. He was in the Pentagon at the time. He was in the Pentagon, yeah. Um, oh, no, he, at the time, he was actually in Vice President Cheney's office. What would you say to those who say the di- big difference this time is that Bush clearly wanted war does Trump clearly want war with Iran? I'm not sure that's true. I'm, I'm not sure George W. Bush, and my book is going to reflect this, truly wanted war. He was looking for something to do that would assure him re-election in 2004 and that would put to rest the bugaboo of his father's mistake in his mind of not taking out Saddam Hussein. But he wasn't necessarily looking for it imminently as it came after 9-11. Dick Cheney was, and that's what influenced George so, W. Bush. So then there is a parallel again there, there in the yes. sense that Trump is looking for re-election. Yes. He's tweeted in the past that, oh, Obama would attack Iran in order to get re-elected, which shows how his mind works. Yeah, exactly. And his own bugaboo is Obama. He wants to do the opposite of whatever Obama did. It's one of the reasons he tore up the nuclear deal. I think and his so. jo- and his Dick Cheney is who? John Bolton, Mike Pompeo? John Bolton and Mike Pompeo look a lot like the characters from the Bush administration, with Pompeo being the sycophant and Bolton being the leader. So we'll come back to that in a moment. Just in terms of the news this week, what do you make of the U.S. government's claim that Iran attacked these tankers in the Gulf of Oman last week, that their intel says it was Iran, that video evidence shows it was the Iranian Revolutionary Guards? What's your response to that? I've used intelligence as a military professional and a diplomat for almost half a century, and I wouldn't believe any of it. That doesn't mean it isn't true in certain respects, but I wouldn't believe any of it as they've presented it, just as the prime minister of Japan didn't believe it or Germany believe it. Um, credibility of the United States on intelligence is really low right now, as some of us predicted it, predicted it would be. I see it as either a tactical tit-for-tat by Iran, if in fact Iran had any hand in any of this at all. That is to say, we've provoked them to the maximum. And were I, Tehran, I'd be doing something back, too, to show you can't provoke me to the maximum without me responding. So it's funny you say that, you know, there's no evidence and clearly they haven't provided evidence. The video has been questioned heavily. Uh, Just to be clear, when I saw that video going back to 2003 again, I did think of Colin Powell at the UN with the whole vial and the powder and the anthrax and all of that stuff. Um, Just to be clear, when you say you don't believe raw intelligence straight up as it's presented, at the time Colin Powell gave that UN presentation, were you fully on board with it? Did you at the time believe that the CIA and then CIA boss George Tenet, who was sitting behind uh, Powell during that presentation famously, do you believe the CIA had produced enough clear intel to justify his presentation on Iraqi WMDs? Or did you have your doubts even then? I had doubts, but at the moment they were dispelled by the fact that I was sitting amongst, as was Powell, the representative, the director of central intelligence of these 16 entities in the U.S. intelligence community at that time, all of whom were in consensus, consensus except our own INR at state on the nuclear problem. They were in consensus on the chemical weapons and biological and so forth capabilities. So I was overwhelmed to a certain extent. I'm not trying to but rationalize. As you say, there were intelligence analysts in your own State Department, Greg Thielman and others, yes. who were questioning the evidence. Yes. You and biggest Powell, mistake I you made. You overruled them. Yeah. The biggest mistake I made was when Powell walked into my office and handed me the package. And I said, I'm not doing this, boss. I'm resigning. And I wrote my letter of resignation out. My wife talked me out of it that night. I came back to do yet another monumental task that he had assigned me at the last minute. But I said to him, once I'd accepted the mission, I need Carl Ford or Tom Finger from our own Bureau of Intelligence to go over there with me, and he would not let me. His excuse was, I have them. They're mine. I can get their view anytime. I was stupid. 
I should have taken one of them with me so I could have contested George Tenet with some real intelligence professionals. Given we know that the Cheneys and the Rumsfelds wanted war and the Wolf of Itzes, but Powell played a crucial role in giving international cover and blessing at the UN. That was a, a crucial meeting. How personally responsible do you feel for all the bloodshed and instability in Iraq and the wider region over the past 16 years? Well, I'll go years? to my grave regretting the death of every soldier and sailor and marine and airman in Iraq and the civilians. And, and the Iraqi civilians. Hundreds, hundreds, yeah, the 200,000 or so plus civilians that, and millions that have been displaced. But let me say one other thing, too. The essence of what Powell did was connect al-Qaeda mm. with Saddam Hussein. Which the was rest of, Yeah, the rest of that presentation was really circumstantial crap. But the connection of al-Qaeda with Saddam Hussein resonated with the American people. And was perhaps the biggest lie of all. And it was the biggest lie of all. And we're seeing it again now. Pompeo is claiming claiming just as they claimed that secular Saddam was in bed with uh, kind of fanatical theocratic al-Qaeda, today we're being told that Shia... Islamist Iran is in is, bed yeah, which with is Sunni Islamist Al-Qaeda. Pompeo which is, is saying it. Preposterous. They've briefed members of Congress saying that yes. we can use the AUMF after 9-11 to go after Iran. Yeah, both of those points are preposterous. Al-Qaeda and Iran have no real substantive contact. And two, that is not covered under the authorization of the University I think anyone with a brain force. or ability to read knows that. So given the similarities in terms of the people involved, in terms of the arguments being deployed, in terms of the reliance on... I think it's fair to say, shaky intelligence and video evidence. What advice do you have for the U.S. media covering this uh, escalation, this military buildup in the Gulf and the ratcheting up of U.S. government and U.K. government, again, rhetoric on Iran? First point I'd tell them is grow some cojones. You are not speaking truth to power. You are more or less doing exactly what you did in 2002 and three. You're going along with the administration's lies. You're magnifying those lies in many cases. Challenge them. Go after them. Do like, uh, what was it, Knight Ritter, Jonathan Landay, and Warren Strobel. Do like that media source did during the Iraq War. Question everything. Turns out they were right. How complicit do you think the U.S. media were in the 2003 Iraq invasion? I think they were very complicit. I know that Dick Cheney would take raw intelligence, feed it to the New York Times. The New York Times would then print it, yes. front page above the fold, right side, and Cheney would then cite it as verified. He did. He did it on Meet the Press, I remember, with the with the Denisia stuff and other things. Um, what's so ironic when we look at the situation today is that Barack Obama's much, mal- much maligned diplomacy produced a nuclear deal that put limits on Iran's nuclear program, whereas Trump's so-called... If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. 
For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Maximum pressure campaign has an Iran which now says it's going to up its enrichment activities and which, according to the U.S. administration, is bombing tankers in the Gulf. Yes, I'm complete. I mean, how is this not obvious to anyone, again, with a brain? Well, we've got 330 million Americans, 280 million of whom I'm convinced are ignorant, apathetic, fearful, etc., etc. And you tell them anything and they'll believe it. And if you give them the politics of fear as a daily food, they'll believe you. They'll go along with you. The public is pretty anti-war. We saw that before the Iraq war. We see the polls now, even Trump voters, I don't think want a new conflict in the Middle East. Do you think that Trump and the people who do want war in DC will be able to get the American public on board for another war? I think they will try, at least those, and I'm, I'm not putting the president in this yet because I don't think the president wants war, but the circle around him does. And those influencing that circle, Netanyahu, Zayed, and Salman, want war or want something done with regard to Tehran that reduces their power in the world's eyes. When you see, I hear people give this and on the left and the right, give Trump, what I would call a bit of a pass on this when you say he doesn't want war. That may or may not be true. We don't know. It's very hard to get inside Trump's mind. We know an army of psychiatrists should really get in there soon. But <laughs> what I would say is this, you can't give him a pass on the Bolton. Pompe- it's, you can't say he doesn't want war when he's the man who appointed John Bolton as his national security advisor against the advice of a lot of military and diplomatic but professionals, but he appointed Mike Pompeo. What he's doing with that, He appointed though? General Flynn at the time, who was also in Iran. What he's doing with Bolton is he's using Bolton, in my mind, and yeah. I know this is giving him some credit yes. that I probably wouldn't on any other issue. Okay. But he's using Bolton as the spearhead of his effort to bring maximum pressure, which he thinks, as with Kim Jong-un, is going to produce a talk with okay. Tal. With- and in his narcissistic world, his arrogance, he thinks I can control Bolton. Absolutely. Well, Absolutely. That's not necessarily I, I, the case. I, I think but he does a- have this history of applying, you know, one thing he's been consistent on is hawkish about Iran. Like, you know, yes. as you mentioned, North Korea, we said on the show before, he's happy to talk about love letters with Kim and summits with Kim and uh, all of that stuff. With Iran, from the campaign till now, he's been almost completely, consistently hawkish from when he said during the campaign he'd tear up the Iran deal, which is one of the few promises he kept, uh, to to appointing hawk after hawk after hawk on Iran, if nothing else. Um, So let's just get to the, let's just get to the meat of this. What would a war between the United States and Iran, God forbid, look like? It would be very different to the US invasion of Iraq, wouldn't it? It'd be horrible. I did the war planning for meeting the Russians in Iran as they invaded Afghanistan and we thought they were coming south. I know that terrain. I know the Zagros Mountains. I know what it's like to try and war plan for that terrain. It would be horrible. Um, Four times almost the size of Iraq, 80 million, not 26 million people, a a homogeneity to the population that Iraq certainly didn't have, uh, 51% Persian. Um, Terrain, as I said, that's just inhospitable, almost killed Alexander the Great, for example. 
This would be a vicious, long-term guerrilla campaign waged by the Iranians over 10 or 15 years. And at the end of it, it would look about like Iraq did in 2011, and it would cost $2 trillion and lots of lives. And more than anything else, it would require at least a half a million troops. No allies are going to join us. That's for a that ground conscription. But no one suggests well, the ground invasion. Here's what's going to happen. Yeah. You're going to have airstrikes and, and selective, in. and you're not going to do anything except drive them underground, and the weapon will be built even quicker. So I get that most Americans don't know anything about Hezbollah, don't know anything about the IRGC. Uh, the president himself can barely, I'm sure, can barely tell the difference between Hamas or probably Hezbollah. Probably can't spell it. I definitely can't spell it and probably can't tell the difference. But someone like John Bolton, right, who, for all his sins, is clearly not a dumb man. He's never served in the military. Do you think he understands how serious, how potentially catastrophic a conflict with Iran would be? I never quite get Bolton. Is it that he knows and doesn't care, or is he blissfully ignorant and unaware? You worked alongside him at the State Department. The former. Jim Kelly and I, Assistant Secretary for East Asian Pacific, went to his office in 2002 when he was making comments that the White House didn't like about North Korea. We should go to war with North Korea. And we gave him, I gave him, what would happen in South Korea. We'd win, yes, but it'd be a pyrrhic victory. We'd have 100,000 casualties in the first 30 days. Seoul would be aflame. And guess what, John? At that point, there were about 150,000 Americans in South Korea, not to mention Chinese, Japanese, and others. Now there are over 230,000 Americans. John was oblivious to that. He actually said back to me and Jim Kelly, you guys do the war. I don't do war. That's John's view. He just starts them. Um, wow. That's depressing and scary. What is at the core? You, you've been around on the scene for a while. You were working with Colin Powell back when he was National Security Advisor to Ronald Reagan, back when he was Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff under George Bush Sr. What is at the core, do you think, of this 40-year animosity, this Cold War between the US and Iran? Because the US has a lot of opponents. There's the Chinas, the North Koreas, the Russias, the adversaries on the international side. But no, no one, nothing compares to this kind of loathing, fear, hatred, obsession with Iran in this town in Washington, D.C.? It's very complex, and it's not just this, but it is composed of a lot of this. They pushed our man down, the Shah. They took our people hostage for 444 days. They entombed a president in the White House, Jimmy Carter. They cost him the election, et cetera, et cetera. The Iranians have never been punished. That's the way a lot of these people look at it. And by the and way, that's the way John Bolton nose, yeah. looks at it. Yeah, that they got away with it. They got away with it. And um, no one should get away with tweaking the great empire. And yet Donald Trump, North Korea, very, lots of bad blood there, a long, a long unfinished war. The Korean War never finished. Thousands of American troops out there. And yet Donald Trump Korea. can get away with talking about love letters. Look and, at South Korea, economic miracle. And largely because of Americans stand up to the Soviets during the but Korean when you look War. Actually, when you look at North Korea, when you look at the leadership of North Korea, Donald Trump can get away with having two summits with them. I can't imagine Donald Trump or Barack Obama having a summit with Rouhani of Iran, President well, of Iran. Kim Jong-un wanted those summits. Yeah. He wanted to sit down the and be, don't. be blessed by the U.S. president. Well, the he Iranians was. aren't looking by for the way, a blessing. Yeah. The situation in Korea on the peninsula is getting worse and worse every minute that we speak. Yes. 
Um, Donald Trump has not solved it. But you make a good point. The Iranians don't want that meeting. They're not interested in a blessing from Donald Trump. Nope. Um, when I interviewed Bernie Sanders on foreign policy a couple of years ago, he talked about shifting away from seeing automatically the Saudis as friends and allies and the Iranians as mortal enemies. Is that a view you share? Can you Absolutely. do a reset? But is that possible in this town? I think to do President Obama was trying to do it and look what happened. I mean, as weakly as he, he tried. He asked them to share the neighborhood, I remember yeah. was the yep. phrase he used. As weakly as he tried. Yep lacking of moral and political courage as he was, he nonetheless tried. And look at what's happened. This is partly a reaction to that attempt. And it's a reaction by the Saudis and the Israelis yes, as felt, well as by America. We felt unloved yes. by Obama, even yes. though he sold them more weaponry than yes. any previous and, president. And very he fearful. dared to do a nuclear deal yes. uh, with Tehran. Uh, it's almost cultish, the obsession with taking down Iran. Peter Baynard was on this show last week. And he made the point that, you know, the Democrats, yes, they've uh, said they're going to rejoin the nuclear deal. Yes, they've some of them have said they're opposed to this current escalation, but they don't question the underlying premise at the core of this debate, which is that Iran is this big, bad, bogeyman, evil country threatening the United States. I think Kamala Harris said this week in a video for the New York Times that Iran, or not for the view, she said somewhere this week that Iran uh, is a threat to the United States. And you have to ask the question, where does that come from? It comes from a visceral feeling that Saudi Arabia is as bad as it is, $750 billion invested in the United States. Yep. It's our son and of a bitch. Iran is not. And it's our son of a bitch to borrow <laughs> yes, Truman's form. Exactly. exactly. Son of from a bitch. Roosevelt's meeting with uh, Saud on forward, it's been this poisonous relationship. Never. Has it been so poisonous as it is today? Is that and what you believe? You believe, uh, yes, you believe American-Iranian relations are today worse than any, even during the... Uh, no, I'm talking about the U.S.-Saudi relations. U.S.-Saudi relations. Are just okay. poisonous, and they, they're ruining everything we're trying to do in the region. During your time in the Bush administration working for General Powell, you were involved not just in the run-up to the Iraq war, but also in the wake of that invasion. There was this, it's not discussed very often, there was this Iranian offer. Yes. To normalize relations with yeah. the U.S., a so-called grand bargain. Tell us what happened, how that offer came in, and why it didn't get anywhere. This is a very strange set of circumstances. Trita Parsi has covered it partially, but we actually sent a non-paper their way. Richard Haas on the policy planning staff passed it through Richard Armitage, Deputy Secretary of State. No indicia on it, a non-paper. We sent it their way with what we would want to talk about. They then respond and send back a non-paper that this says- is what after they, yes. This is after the invasion of Iraq in yes, 2003. Yes, this is when we were cooperating in Afghanistan. Yes. And uh, we get it. And even Bill Burns, NEA Assistant Secretary of State. What did the Iranians say they were up for doing? They said, these are the items we'd like to talk about. We note yours, and these are the things we'd like what to was talk the, what about. Was the, what was the potential common ground? Well, it was almost everything on the list that we'd want to talk about and that they'd want to talk about. So Could it all have been achieved? Yeah, it was nuclear, it was terrorism. It was the whole ball of wax. And granted, it was a non-paper. Well, Bill Burns and others argued, Condi argued, she at first said she didn't even see it. She certainly did. They argued that this was not a serious offer and that it had been, quote, embellished by the Europeans, unquote. And Who so, were the intermediaries because you yeah, have no direct diplomatic and, relationship And my with boss Tehran. is sitting there with Dick Cheney fighting him on North Korea, fighting him on China, fighting him on, 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 on every other major issue. And he just didn't want to spend the political capital on this particular issue. So he took Bill's word, Condi's word, and he said, OK, so it's not a serious offer. I think it was a serious offer. And you didn't respond, did you? We didn't. We just ignored it. We treated it as if it were nothing. 16 years ago, there yes. could have been a breakthrough well yes. before Obama. But no one wanted a breakthrough, especially Dick Cheney. 
Dick Cheney stymied the functional statutory decision-making process for four years of my administration when I was there by simply not letting Iran come up for a policy decision. And it never did. One of the things the Iranians in that letter said they wanted to deal with was the MEK, this kind of cultish Iranian opposition group, uh, which has been trying to bring down the Iranian regime for a long time. It was on the American list of banned terrorist organizations for a long while because it had killed Americans in the Middle East. Um, It worked with Saddam Hussein. um, And... uh, was that something that the American government would have considered in 2003? As part well, I don't of think so in 2003. We were essentially trying to box them up and disarm them in Iraq, as a matter of fact. So I, we were treating them as what I think they truly are, a cult that uh, does some very, very bad stuff, Yeah, terrorist. And yet everyone from Rudy Giuliani to Howard Money. Dean to John Bolton, the National Security Advisor, has all spoken at MEK rallies, uh, given talks, taken money from them. Yeah. Go to Paris, get refurbished, and then pay Americans thirty to $50,000 a hit for talking. Amazing. And-, and that's part of this equation that we don't hear enough about. When we talk about the road to war, it's not just the Saudis and the Emiratis and the Israelis. It's not just the neoconservatives with their ideology, but it's also good old-fashioned cash coming in yep. from a, a lobby group. Yeah, and, and you're, talk- you're talking about the equivalent, in many respects, of Ahmad Chalabi and the Iraqi National Congress. Another parallel. Yep. Another. Those were Iraqi exiles who were pushing Paul Wolfowitz and go into intervention. Um, on the intelligence front, when you say that you've looked at raw intelligence and not trusted it, we have big debates about intelligence in many conflicts. Is there a worry, is there a danger, because you've been criticized for this, and I just want to get your response, that when you distrust the US government or the UK government, which you should, everyone should, I'm a journalist, I definitely should, the danger is that in this age of social media and conspiracy theories, you go from one extreme to another. So you go from saying, I'm not sure Assad, for example, carried out a chemical attack, to going to the other extreme and saying, as you have said, well, it was a false flag, may have been carried out by the Israelis. Do you regret saying stuff like that? I do not. What I look at after years and years, half a century almost, of using intelligence at every level, tactical, operational, and strategic, is who gave me the intelligence. If it's the analyst at the desk who speaks the language of the region, who knows the region, who understands the players in the region, I'm going to trust him. But if it leaves that analyst and goes through all the bosses and gets up to the director of central intelligence or whatever, I'm going to question him because no, he's that. going to mold it to the but policy Why not purpose. show the same skepticism for some of, you know, we have a lot of, uh, as you know, lobby groups. Some, take it a conflict like Syria, where there are so many outside actors. Why not distrust all sides? Why go from one extreme of saying, OK, I don't trust the CIA on gas attacks to saying, but I do trust Assad. There's a, there's a really simple answer to that. It's complex in its intonations, but it's very simple. If that intelligence is going to cause U.S. forces to die and bleed in combat, the U.S. to deploy military force, I'm going to be very skeptical of that intelligence. Either way, very skeptical. What are the odds right now? How worried are you right now that we could see a war with Iran this side of the 2020 presidential election? As I said, I don't think Trump wants it, but I'd say right now we have at least a 50-50 chance because the people around Trump do want it. And what is your advice to Democrats who might want to try and stop Trump from Democrats need to get their act together. They're so in such disarray right now, including Pelosi, the leader in the House, where they do have some power. They need to get their act together, and they need to do things like not just talk about 
prohibiting the president from using military force against Iran without congressional authorization. They need to scare the bejesus out of him if there's any way to do that and say, we will cut everything off immediately if you use force against Iran without our permission. And then they need to think hard about whether or not they're going to give permission. Colonel Lawrence Wilkerson, thanks for joining me on Deconstructed. Thanks for having me. That was Colonel Lawrence Wilkerson, former chief of staff to Colin Powell during the Iraq war, issuing a very blunt message to the Democrats. They need to step up their game. They need to get their act together. They need to help stop this rush to war with Iran that we're in the midst of right now. They need to put pressure on Donald Trump. Wilkerson does not think Trump wants war, whether he does or not, who knows. But he says the Democrats need to put pressure on him to stop this rush to war. Last week on this show, I talked to Peter Beinart about how the Democrats are just not radical enough. The Democratic presidential candidates, that is. They're just not radical enough on foreign policy. They haven't shifted to the left on foreign policy in the same way that they have on domestic policy, on health care, on taxes, etc. Some of you actually wrote in, and we always appreciate listeners writing in. Some of you wrote in to say, well, how come I didn't mention Tulsi Gabbard, who is the representative from Hawaii, who is also running for president and will be on the debate stage uh, next week uh, because she says she's very anti-regime change war. And she is. She's been very vocal about not going to war with Iran, uh, about Americans not getting involved in Syria. She's been very anti-regime change wars. Do I think she's anti-war across the board? No, not really. If you look at her commentary, she's actually quite pro-bombing anyone who's quote-unquote Al-Qaeda or ISIS. And she has some very dodgy ties to some far-right authoritarian governments like the government of India's. Um, But I'd love to chat and discuss and debate all this with Tulsi Gabbard. Uh, We've reached out to her, invited her on the show. She's declined our invitation. If that changes, you'll all be the first to know. That's our show. Deconstructed is a production of First Look Media and The Intercept. Our producer is Zach Young. The show was mixed by Brian Pugh. Lital Mollard is our executive producer. Our theme music was composed by Bart Warshaw. Betsy Reed is The Intercept's editor-in-chief. And I'm Mehdi Hassan. You can follow me on Twitter at Mehdi R. Hassan. If you haven't already, please do subscribe to the show so you can hear it every week. Go to theintercept.com forward slash deconstructed to subscribe from your podcast platform of choice, iPhone, Android, whatever. If you're subscribed already, please do leave us a rating or a review. It helps new people find the show. And if you want to give us feedback on any subject, email us at podcasts at theintercept.com. Thanks so much. Next week is our final show of this season. It's going to be a special on the Democratic presidential debates. It'll be coming out Friday morning, not Thursday morning, Friday morning after both debates have concluded with lots of reaction and commentary from me and my guests. See you then. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit UH1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.